0: Hi everyone, I'm Sky Ross and this is Motherness, a podcast dedicated to sharing mindful and empowering interviews with mothers and experts. Together, we're shining a light on the realness of raising babies and life postpartum, from the first moments to the months following and the years beyond. Motherness serves to hold space for mothers in all their glory, to inform you, to include you, to empower you and to connect you. And despite our different experiences, opinions, and approaches, as mothers who love, we are grounded in this together. In today's episode, I speak with the lovely Cathy McCormick of Holistic Baby about all things breastfeeding. Cathy is a mother of three, a qualified nurse, a midwife of 26 years, and an international board certified lactation consultant. Our conversation is thorough and it's long. So you'll see I've released it in two parts, but both episodes are available now so you don't have to wait to hear all of Kathy's wisdom, tips and advice. In this first part, we talk about what mothers can expect from the first few days and weeks when breastfeeding, in terms of the type of milk we produce and the benefits. We go over the average breastfeeding timeline during the fourth trimester, what to expect from cluster feeding and what its purpose is, and we cover what your options are if you think you have low supply. And just quickly, a little disclaimer from me before we begin. As you know, my intention with Motherness content is to hold space for mothers in all their glory. In all your glory. So, this episode is in no way me advocating for all or nothing when it comes to breastfeeding. I've always maintained the opinion that if you breastfeed your baby when they were first born, you breastfeed. If you breastfeed your baby for a few days, weeks or months, you breastfeed. If you pump and give your baby a bottle or you mix feed, you breastfeed too. However long or however breastfeeding looks for you, you've done it, and that's something to be celebrated. So, I hope this episode with Kathy enlightens and informs you, especially if you're expecting, and that it supports you and helps you on your journey if it has begun. Here's Kathy and I talking all things milk, babies, and boobs. Hi, Kathy, Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Do you want to just start by introducing yourself to our listeners? Tell us what you do as a lactation consultant and what your qualifications are. Uh,
1: hello, Skye. Thank you for inviting me. I'm Cathy from Holistic Baby. So my, I am a lactation consultant, but I guess I originally started as a nurse, so I have a bit of a medical background, and I also did psychiatric nursing and mental, it was mental health nursing and then I led into being a midwife so I've been a midwife for about 26 years and about five years ago I started to um get more interested I guess in being a lactation consultant because I had so many mums coming to me as a midwife who kept saying there was a lot of conflicting advice so that's where my kind of interest in getting to be a lactation consultant I thought well I'll increase my own knowledge so that I can also support people to sort out their problems yeah
0: Yeah, fantastic. So let's take it back to the very beginning. For anybody who's listening who perhaps is pregnant and maybe doesn't have um, the same understanding as you or I have about breastfeeding and breast milk, can you talk us through the timeline of breast milk and like a typical, I guess, breastfeeding journey within those first few weeks? And also with that, what the benefits of breast milk are and breastfeeding, I suppose, as well, because it's not just about the milk, it's about the feeding too.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess for me, I've actually taught antenatal classes for uh, around 16 years now. And I mm-hmm. think um, what's changed for a lot of um, people in the last, probably, oh, maybe at least I'm in the last four or five years, they're now doing free breastfeeding classes at many of the hospitals. And I also run a breastfeeding class. But when you start telling mums that actually they already have colostrum, when they're pregnant, and not a lot of mums realise that. So so your colostrum starts to be made from about 16 to 22 weeks of pregnancy, and when women are at their last few weeks of pregnancy, if they have a warm shower and start massaging around their breasts, or they may even notice that they're leaking colostrum, that that is the first sign for them that actually they've got something that's really special for their babies. And the goal, like on a lot of when you're in classes, when you talk to people about colostrum, I guess the main thing people have to realize about colostrum is they call it kind of the liquid gold because it actually is a bit like, you know, getting some really good stuff that's going to make your babies um, come into the world and then start building um, an immune system. And part of that is the colostrum. So, you know, it's it's concentrated. It's kind of, it's sort of a, you hear a lot of people talking about colostrum being, it's not really a food. It's as in people always think, you know, milk is about food. that um, But colostrum is not really a food. You know, it's got very few cal- um Babies don't need many calories in the first 48 hours of life. They need things that um, carry immune cells, that boost their immune system, and that's the role of the colostrum. It kind of goes, and I always explain it in my classes to mums and dads, that, you know, it's a bit like your baby's tummy the size of a marble and someone's gone in there with a little tiny paintbrush and starts to paint the inside of that marble. And what it does is seals off seals off uh, that inside for a bit of protection so that those germs can't get into the baby.
0: Wow, it's incredible, isn't it? Well, it is
1: incredible, and in that you don't need a lot of it. So, you know, some people when they do um, hand expressing see nothing, but you hear a baby swallowing on the breast. Um, some people can squeeze out a mil a time. So babies get anywhere from only one to five mils per feed, but originally it starts off with a few drops and then every time the baby feeds it gets a bit more. So babies normally within the first one to two days get anywhere from five to 35 mils of colostrum and that that actually kind of stops those um, bad bacterias getting into them and those, you know, things that we don't want to get into a baby that's going to make them sick. So it kind of, yeah, yeah. kind of seals them off.
0: Yeah, and then is the next stage transition milk? Is that a correct term? Well, I, you know, as a as a
1: midwife and lactation consultant, again, you hear all sorts of different things. What they what they talk about a lot is really the milk starts to change. And when you've you know got a one year old, you probably remember that the black poo, yeah, was those first couple of days. So as the baby's doing the colostrum, it starts to also help the baby clear out that colostrum. Um, uh, clear out that um. The meconium, which also lowers the baby's rates of getting things like jaundice. So that's kinda of like it kind of helps baby clear things out. And as it clears out within that sort of day two, day three, they start doing the cluster feeding and you notice the baby's poo goes a bit greeny. Yeah. And that means the milk's changing. And that's what people often call the transitional milk. Yeah. Um, that the 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 milk's starting to change, and then between that day two to five you know, you'll see that the milk's changing from into a more kind of buttery coloured. There's more volume. So often it feeds babies are getting 25 to 35 mils per feed and they start to wee more. Yep. So normally by day two to three, you're getting two to three wet nappies a day. And then with the permanent milk coming, it looks more watery. Okay. It's tasty. It's rich. It's creamy, but it also looks more watery and a lot of women will see at the beginning of the feed the baby's doing lots and lots of gulping, and at the end of the feed the breast is feeling a lot softer.
0: Yeah, and that's when um, they're getting more of the hind milk. Is that correct? Well, they don't so much talk
1: about full milk and hind milk anymore. Yeah. Okay, what they talk more about is breast fullness. Mm -hmm. So when the breasts are really, really full, the baby gets lots and lots of volume, and as the breasts get softer, they're getting the more fatty kind of stuff. And the more creamy stuff. So baby kind of needs both. Okay, so they need the creamy stuff for the lots of gaining weight and they need the the watery stuff for lots of hydration and all those things and everything is in that feed that that baby needs. Um, But like in the mornings, often you find that your breasts are really, really full. Um, And then in the evenings, often many women notice that their breasts are softer and the baby gets very fussy and it wants to feed every hour and a half sometimes or every hour but what the baby's getting at that time is less
0: volume but high calories, yeah, it's incredible, isn't it and that's what yeah, it is incredible, and that's where parents find it's
1: hard because you know, as you've probably experienced the evenings, babies take up a lot of time,
0: yeah, and I guess that's what I'm hoping to achieve with our conversation is that we can just maybe put a few minds at ease in terms of what's normal because there is a lot of pressure in all directions and I'm sure mums have always had pressure but I think that um, because we are more informed than we've ever been before there is a lot of pressure on how we feed and how often we feed and all those sorts of things but Mm. I'd, I'd love to just get from you what the benefits of both breast milk and breastfeeding are for both mum and baby i think
1: probably the biggest benefit for many mothers i find today um from i guess it's like you know you've got your physical your physical benefits you'll hear lots of things um about the good things about breastfeeding so for a mum, it you know, it the early the baby feeds, like pretty much straight at birth, okay, the baby's suckling early, you're gonna get reduced bleeding and hemorrhaging rates. Mm-hmm. Okay. People talk about, you know, your body returns to its pre-pregnancy body weight sooner because you're using more energy with feeding your babies. You know, it helps with you um to delay your return of fertility. Um it also put a lot of parents and, and People don't realise that you know breastfeeding may also reduce the risk of premenopausal breast ovarian and um, um, uterine cancers. Mm-hmm. So it has quite a lot of long term benefits. Um, it often leads to stronger bones and less osteoporosis, and you know it's cheap for yep. a lot of mums. You know you are not working, and so it's cheap. But also for many mums, what I find one of the biggest benefits is when they successfully breastfeed, their mood is often better postnatally mm-hmm. when they get that kind of achievement in themselves, that's where I see a lot of this the social side of breastfeeding and the emotional side of breastfeeding, that they really feel like they've achieved something. You know, that's something that I particularly am interested in when I when I talk to mums is where is their emotional state. Because often I find that if I can support them there, the breastfeeding just gets easier and easier and easier. Um and then for the baby, you know, babies don't need anything other than breast milk for the first six months of life. Um, you know, it's free compared to formula. They get all their nutritional needs, all their immunity from it, all their developmental needs. And I think that's another thing for mums that when you start to explain about the how the baby develops, it's also related to the breastfeeding. Um, they get lots of skin-to-skin contact with you. Um, they get lots of anti-infective factors. Um, they ha- tend to have less admissions to hospitals, you know, for your gastroenteritis, your diarrheas and other infections, mm-hmm. there's lots and lots of evidence there about you know, lowers their risk of being overweight later in life, lower rates of obesity, um, eczemas, diabetes in childhood and adulthood. Um, and I guess for me, I, when it comes to the benefits for mothers and babies, I kind of talk about that, but sometimes when mothers are having issues, they're not really interested in hearing about the benefits because what they're doing is they're struggling. You know, and I think it makes a lot of guilt for many mothers when you focus on some of those things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can I can relate to that. I had a really difficult time. Our first week was actually fine, and then after that I started yep. to get really sore nipples, and I saw a great yep. lactation consultant through yep. White Matter Health. And um, mm. my, we'll kind of get into this a bit more as I ask you more questions, but essentially my daughter was – um, it was – I was told she had a tongue tie, but we managed to find a different position that meant that when she was latching on, she had a deeper latch. I had no more nipple trauma. And actually, I think because of um, the pressure and like, I guess, the regimented structure of trying to get a baby to latch, it's kind of like, they've got to do this and they've got to do that and you've got to hold them this way. I was actually controlling it too much. And I think there's a lot of that that comes into breastfeeding is that um, Mm. there is a huge element of us wanting to control it and um mm. a lot of the time I think we need to learn how to surrender to the process a little bit more and it's a learned art it definitely is or it was for me at least it's, absolutely it is but I think it's also it's you know it's I was just
1: actually a, a um a mum and me course today and yesterday our mother support group that I run and a lot of the moms talking about the issues with breastfeeding and I said to them all, actually what I see mostly is most of you aren't actually tuning into your babies, you know, not in a bad way, but in a, they're like, Oh, the the baby just has to feed or you've got to hold, like you say, you've been taught to hold it this way and hold it that way. And the baby's fighting them or the guilt of having to sometimes give some extra milk because the baby's not gaining weight and all that. And that all gets mixed up. And then mothers struggle because, like you say, they can't surrender. Yeah. Because there's so much information.
0: Yeah. So let's take it back to what's normal. There is, you know, we've talked about the pressure. There is, I think, a huge amount of pressure to have your baby from a really early stage. This was my experience in a lot of an experience mm. for a lot of my mum friends as well that babies should be feeding on a schedule or feeding two to three hours can you just take us through what is normal in terms of frequency and duration okay so what I
1: how I have always dealt with it is one I always say to mums you know the thing with the thing with pregnancy is you have all the testing, all the te- technology now, you've got all the stuff, we give you so much input about you must take this and you must take that and you must do this and you must do that and then it comes to the birth and whether it's a natural birth you want that and if you get it you know you're successful, if you don't get it then you get medical intervention and so you actually start a bit off in the back foot yeah. um, and I think for many, for many births now there is often some medical input on some level and so we've actually got mothers and babies and then as soon as that baby's born you're told you need to do it all and actually we need to do skin to skin we want this baby feeding whenever it likes and it's very overwhelming for mothers mm. you know i mean how did you feel after your baby was born were you full of beans you know what sort of birth did you have i often say to them now let's look at where your breastfeeding journey actually started And so when I look at the whole picture, I kind of go, okay, well, let's go back a bit. You've got this problem that you're telling me about. But often what I find when I start talking to them is actually this mum might have um, had the baby. The baby went skin to skin, but it didn't want to latch immediately. And what what happened around that time? Did the baby get left because it was fine? Or did someone just hand express some colostrum if they were worried about it feeding? So sometimes it's not about feeding every two, three hours or feeding on a schedule. But you've got certain things that you look with at a baby. You've got a baby who's maybe born vaginally, no pain relief there, and it's the baby's a good weight, then you've got kind of a baby who's not really at risk of dropping blood sugars or anything like that. So you're basically going to keep it warm, give it lots of opportunity to be near the breast, But sometimes they're just mucusy. Yeah. And then you weigh out, well, this baby hasn't fed at birth, is it actually a problem? And often I say to mums, well, the baby hasn't fed, so why don't we just teach you how to hand express? Because lots of mums should be taught how to hand express right from door. But more that that mum then doesn't have to worry. Well, let's hand express. We've got three drops. The baby's an hour old. It hasn't latched. Let's not force it to latch because what we want is to have the baby to actually do all those things it needs to do, like learn to use its tongue, you know, learn to recover from the breast. And actually it's a nice place to go to. Yep. So often I see lots of mums where you know they're fighting the baby to get it on the breast. Um, and so you've got a healthy baby. There's not really any, any rush to feed it at the birth, but you can always give it a little few drops of colostrum. And then if the baby doesn't want to latch again in three hours, you could just keep hand expressing. And often you'll find that if you treat the baby with a little bit of respect and realize it's healthy, then it will latch often within the first six to ten hours. They start to spit up the extra mucus in their tummies. You know, that also helps stabilize their blood sugars. You keep them warm, you keep them near the mum. you probably, the breastfeeding will just develop on its own. The problem is, is that a lot of babies now, you might have a baby who's had drugs through the labour that will make them more sleepy. You've got a baby maybe born with cesarean section where there might have been a separation of mum and baby. Um, you've got a baby that was distressed at birth, who had a ventouse who had a forceps. You really have to weigh up those babies. Are they able to latch is one of the things that I always look at. You know, do they have a sore head? Is there a risk that this baby's going to drop its blood sugar? Like the mum's a diabetic, the baby's too big, the baby's too small, or have they been distressed in labour? And then once you get a mum onto that this baby needs to feed regularly, often I find that that's actually what's stuck into the mum's kind of brain long-term And so she starts to worry that her baby's either feeding too much or feeding too little. And it often comes from those first couple of days. Like if you think about your baby, Mm. you know, those first couple of days, who put in your head that your baby had to feed so many times a day? Or, you know, how did you know that your baby was getting enough?
0: Yeah, I mean, I completely relate to that. I was, I mean, I've even, she's one year old and we're still breastfeeding and I still worry that she's not getting enough milk when I know that she's actually getting a lot of nutrition from food and she's always been a great feeder in fact today she fed something like six times because she's just going through a stage being booby obsessed um but But where did that worry come from well it comes from do you think yeah I think it comes from getting all the information from experts which I'm saying in quotation marks continuously yeah. throughout those first few weeks i think as well mm, um it's first, yeah you know even if there's pressure to feed regularly i think also there's pressure to space out feeds as well yes and i went yep, to absolutely. it was yeah like a baby and new course that was done through the center which i did my classes yep. yep and there was a an expert there who Albie was sound asleep in her pram. who said that you need to be waking your baby every three hours. But then in the same sentence, she implied that if your baby wants to be feeding more frequently than that, that um, you should wait until it's time. And if your baby is on the breast and not swallowing, then they're just mucking around on the nipple and you should get them off. And it was almost like to establish independence And I just, that doesn't sit right with me, especially when we're talking about the fourth trimester. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Again, it comes back to surrendering. So, So I'd love for you to talk about on the other side of how normal it is for a baby to want to feed frequently and what they're actually trying to do in terms of comfort and potentially increasing milk supply if they are feeding frequently. What does that mean?
1: I guess one of those things that you said about the independence, the first thing is feeding breastfeeding is not just about food so they go to the breast for many many things and it's like you talk about the fourth trimester the breastfeeding is just a huge part of that this baby wants to be close to you wants to smell you you know any upset you know you put them on the breast they'll often stop being upset instantly so and that can be really challenging for lots of mums because you've never really surrendered yourself when you're pregnant you give yourself 24-7 with a placenta, but you can get on with your life. And the problem with the baby when they're breastfeeding is you've really got to sit down and actually, you know, give yourself to the baby. So babies are very different. And and you talk about averages. So most babies need to feed 8 to 12 times in 24 hours for a mum to maintain a good milk supply. And you're looking at an average woman produces about 700 to 800 mils by the time the baby's about two weeks of age.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And a really easy thing for parents to do is go like, your baby's your baby's day one, first day of its birth. How do we know it's getting the right amount of colostrum? Well, it's going to do one wee and one poo. And that's all we expect it to do. Day two to three, the baby's getting more milk. So you're expecting the baby's going to start doing two wees on day two, three wees on day four, you know, three on day three, four wees on day four. And so the baby's getting more volumes come through. Yep. Now, some babies will only feed eight times and they could be, you know, 20 minutes on each breast and they're getting the output. So it's more about the output. So you can have a baby feeding 12 times for an hour and a half each time and you've got no nappies happening. But maybe that baby is 2.5 kgs. Yeah. So you're also looking at how efficiently a baby can remove the milk from the breast. You might have another baby that's 4.5 kgs by the time it's four weeks old. It spends 10 minutes feeding on each side and it's gaining heaps of weight and it only feeds six times a day. So it's really about... Working out how your breasts work in relation to your baby and what they're actually getting, and then looking at it going, Are they settled? You know, are they looking well nourished? You know, after they come off the breast, do they look like they've had a nice feed? And I always say to mums as well, You know, some babies, I often say to them, Look, what I encourage you to do is spend about an hour. Feeding your baby. But that means when your baby wakes up, like most of us, we don't just rush to the kitchen and throw food in our face. So when your baby wakes up, and when we talk about a baby being ready to feed, it's not waking up and screaming. You know, it's a baby waking up. You'll often see them looking around, licking their lips. Well, that's the time to actually pick the baby up. So that they're actually kind of having this lovely little wake up time, and you can talk to them, and they'll often coo at you, or they start sucking their lips and sucking their hands and things. And then when the baby comes through the breast, then that's still within that hour. So they might do five minutes waking up and then they might do a bit of a feed and then they come off and then you have a bit more conversation like you talk about connecting with them. Mm-hmm. And then you might notice them actually mouthing again and looking. It's time to put them back on the breast again. And then you might change their nappy and then, you know, have a bit more conversation and then they start going, oh, I'm fussing, I'm getting tired. But often for that newborn, they want to go back on the breast again so they can settle into a nice sleep you know so every baby's different how they feed and it's about more like kind of calming down spending of time actually looking at the baby rather than worrying about how much they're getting like she going oh i've got a whole bin of nappies well that means my baby's probably getting enough without even the midwife coming and weighing them yeah they're more signs does that help
0: yeah absolutely um I'd love to talk about cluster feeding because it's a conversation it's a topic that has come up in almost every conversation that I've had with mums for yep. the podcast. Um and it was a very real and intense experience for me and I the only reason I knew about it was because I had done a little bit of I guess homework in terms of breastfeeding. It was something yep. I really wanted to do. I knew that I could enjoy it if I could get ourselves into a rhythm and I really wanted mm. to love breastfeeding and I'm Proud to say that we do and we're going really well. Um, But it wasn't easy, and cluster feeding was relentless. I was prepared for it mentally. So I knew what was happening and I knew why it was happening. But for everybody listening who doesn't know it, or maybe their babies did it and they didn't know what it was at the time, can you just explain what cluster feeding is and what the purpose of cluster feeding is? So,
1: can I ask you first what would you describe? cluster feeding as well for me what do you
0: call cluster feeding is it is it fussy baby time or is it actually food time so I particularly remember night two and she was definitely wanting to feed continuously so that cluster
1: feeding do you know that so that that exactly if we talk through the time that you said basically I always say to a woman that cluster feeding night is like you're coming home and suddenly the house is really stuffy and you've got to go and open up all the windows so the fresh air can come in. And so what the baby's trying to do is kind of opening up all your sort of milk producing sites mm-hmm. and going in and going, hey, you know, I need milk. We need to get going on this. And it's kind of, kind of like they're giving you a big kickstart. Yeah. And often when babies miss out on that, sometimes that can also, I mean, it's hormones that bring your milk in in the first kind of two weeks. Um, And then it's about removal of milk. But often what you'll find that if the babies don't do a lot of those cues because they're sleepy, they're premature, they've had difficult births, then that can sometimes be when women start um, getting issues with their milk supplies because either the milk will come in and the baby's not removing it, so you start getting really bad engorgement of milk where the milk's not been removed, Mm -hmm. um, and that can deplete your milk supply. But babies cluster feed because they're actually trying to bring your milk in. So that's a very good thing that babies do.
0: Yes, and it's completely normal. And
1: and it's completely normal. But what you need to do is actually have support around you during the day so before it happens, you get a nap.
0: Yeah, so in terms of that timing of cluster feeding, is it just those first few days of bringing the milk in? Or can cluster feeding be maybe a couple of weeks where baby's just trying to increase supply to get it to a point where – it's satisfying them so
1: normal infant fastiness and that cluster feeding often you get it around that night two night three and then you often get it around week one to week three as well they start to get a bit more windy they get bigger volumes of milk coming in and they're also having those first kind of growth spurt times yeah um and you'll often have a couple of days i mean couple of days but some babies will do it for a week where they just want to feed constantly so it can feel like the cluster feeding is day and night yeah that's a growth spurt
0: yeah yes yeah that's that's a growth spurt okay
1: but was your baby gaining lots of weight
0: yes she was and you know I also took the approach of if she's upset I'm just gonna feed and I'm not going to question that I've got low supply or worry about it it was just um my greatest mission during those first few weeks in terms of establishing breastfeeding. And it was the advice of my midwife as well. She was fantastic, Mm. was just if she's fussy, she's just, she wants more milk and maybe she's still hungry. And I just went from what felt like empty breast to empty breast, but not once did I ever question my supply because I knew just from those signs that we've talked about that I had plenty of nappies going out. And at the end of the cluster feeding session, which Went on from weeks, so yeah, weeks one to three. Essentially, it was not just a couple of days yeah. for me; it was weeks. And she went from about yeah. seven pm sometimes till one am, constantly breast to breast yeah. to breast to breast. Yeah. But then after that, I've had a really good supply since. And so I think because mm. I was aware of it, I surrendered to it. But I know that a lot, a lot of women get blindsided by it because they aren't aware of it. So it's really good to have that insight.
1: I mean, often they can get blindsided for two reasons it's because. You know, often between week one and week three sometimes, you know, all these support structures go. So often dads yeah. go back to work or grandparents go back to work and so, it can, you know, they're tired. And so, you know, they. and also for those support people, they often come home at that time of day at between seven o'clock at night and suddenly you've got the screaming baby and a mum who's, you know, tired from the day and all the, those support people want to do is actually naturally fix it. And so they go, all oh, the baby's not getting enough milk, let's give a bottle. And often doesn't actually fix the problem because often, like that mum's emotional start state, she goes down through that spiral. I don't have enough milk. Yeah. What we need to add in is often, you know, that afternoon nap for the mum because often she wakes up, her milk supply improves, making sure she's eating and drinking well during the day. Um, and that, you know, again, that cluster feeding time, you can take a break. So often what I say to mums, look, feed for an hour. And then give someone else the baby if you can for half an hour. If you haven't got someone else, put baby in a front pack because otherwise it's a bit like you eating constantly. Your digestive system never really gets a break. So even if you take a pause, have something to eat and drink yourself and just say to baby, look, I'll feed you again in 20 minutes, um, it often will just let that baby's digestive system have a break and then go back to it again. Yeah. And feed, 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 have another break in an hour and it also gives you that time frame. Yeah. And sometimes what happens is actually the baby actually lets out a few farts, which helps um, and makes you, you know, let go of your arms and just, you know, relax for five minutes because it can be really, really intense. But it normally starts between week, week one to week three, again, around that four to six weeks, then six to eight weeks. So it does. And then again, a lot of the time that sort of cluster feeding goes by three, four months. And that's because babies are normally double their birth weight by then. So all that feeding is actually, you know, nourishing your baby. But the cluster feeding has a purpose. It's high in fat and it keeps your milk supplies going well and it encourages your body to keep making milk. Yeah. But it's also like you talk about your tongue tie, when we talk about, you know, our babies cluster feeding all the time because they're actually not feeding as efficiently or as well as they could do. So again, you know, sometimes getting some support, getting someone to have a look. So I always say to Mums, you know, when we look at feeding. We look at how frequently a baby feeds. You know, how long does a baby feed for? And then the intensity of the latch. And like you say with that tongue tie, that probably the intensity wasn't there or the latch wasn't good if you had sore nipples or a baby, you know, not transferring the milk as well as it could. And by changing positions, often those things will improve. Yeah, absolutely. And the baby will be more settled. Let's yeah.
0: quickly talk about low supply, because it is um, you know, as much as we've talked about people sometimes misinterpreting these signs as low supply. It is also a very real issue for women. So um, yep. how do you know if you do have low supply? At what point is this cluster f- feeding and this maybe unsettledness potentially a sign of low supply? And what are your options um, in the first instance for something like this?
1: I guess I guess the thing for me is um... – The first thing is look at the whole baby, you know, look at the whole baby and the mother relationship as a whole. You know, is this a new thing that you think you've got low supply? Have you always had low supply? And, um, you know, look at, I'd probably, for many mums, like was your baby considered a normal birth weight to start with? You know, because obviously if you've got a baby who's 4 kgs and a baby who's 2.5 kgs, if that 4kg isn't gaining weight for a week, it's still got a quite a big buffer there to work with. If you've got a baby who's 25 kgs and hasn't gained any weight or is losing weight, you know, we've kind of got a little baby anyway. So I think when it comes to low supply, you know, you don't have to always rush in. Um, you can actually, I had a girl, an example is I had a mum ring me recently and, you know, her midwife was worried about low supply and this baby not gaining weight. And when I actually talked to the mum, the baby's birth weight was 3.5 kgs at birth. It was only week three, and the baby was already 3.7 kgs. So it hadn't gained a lot in the last week, but overall it was above its birth weight by 200 grams. And I went, look, I don't think that's a reason to start formula. Yeah. You know, I think we've got a week that we can try and improve the latch, and she went on to not having to give formula, and things got better. But if you've got a baby that's, you know, that's not at its birth weight, um, then sometimes you've got to step in and be a little bit more robust with the solutions that you take. Because we want a baby to, one, be healthy, okay? So first thing when you're looking at low low milk supply, you'd be looking at what's the baby's output like? You know, have you got those nappies? Um, what's the baby's weight doing? you know is it above its birth weight is it below its birth weight is it just that the weight's slowing down because also with some women what you'll find is do I mean did you notice when your milk came in you have lots and lots of milk
0: yeah I definitely if anything had an oversupply and that was a contributing yep. factor in um, some of my issues and wanting to see a lactation consultant so I've never experienced that feeling of thinking that you've got low supply other than those first couple of weeks of cluster feeding but i knew that she was just bringing the milk in
1: yeah well see sometimes what happens is women get lots of milk initially like they can actually get lots and lots of milk in the first two weeks because it's to do with their hormones bringing the milk in and then by they hit the time they hit that two to four week thing that two to four week sort of time frame where they're sort of starting to get cluster feedery sort of things like that then what can happen is suddenly the baby that gained lots of weight in the first two weeks, if the latch isn't good or the latch isn't as optimal it can be or the mum's still got sore nipples and things like that, then often you see the weight gain start to fall down a little bit. And then what will happen if the baby's not – because we we make milk by removing milk. Yeah. Okay, so if the baby's transferring milk efficiently, you're going to make the milk. If your baby's suddenly getting sleepy, you're using nipple shields. So in the first couple of weeks, lots of girls who use nipple shields find their babies are fine and they gain lots of weight. But slowly over time, sometimes what nipple shields do is they can actually decrease your milk supply. And so you end up suddenly having a low milk supply because you're using a nipple shield. If the latch isn't as optimal as it can be, it's a bit like a baby sucking on a straw on your breast, so if we're not removing the milk, you're going to slowly not make the milk, and then you'll get a low milk supply. Um, And again, you'll see it in those weights, those babies who are suddenly gaining 250 a week, suddenly gain 220. And then suddenly the next week they're gaining 170, and then 150, and the weights will slowly go down. And easy ways. Did you ever hear of things like switch nursing for low milk supply? That's what I often start with with mums. No, Have what's you heard that? Switching nursing centers? So what you do, if you've got a baby that often when I see babies and the mums worried about a low milk supply, what you notice with a baby is that when they get on the breast, they might start off really, really vigorously, and you'll hear them swallowing, and for the first sort of five to seven to ten minutes, and then you notice the baby just falls asleep. Mm-hmm. And what happens is the baby's kind of the milk supply stops the flow and the baby kind of loses interest. And so what you do is you take the baby off and you switch to the next breast. So when that baby gets on the next breast, you'll actually get another letdown. And the baby opens its eyes again and goes, oh, there's some milk. So the baby gets more vigorous again. And this is how we used to treat low milk supply before we had lots of breast pumps. So when you've been a midwife for 26 years, we didn't used to have lots of higher end of breast pumps. We used to switch, nurse. So you'd see this baby get on the next side, and the baby might go for five or ten minutes, and you hear the baby doing lots of gulping at that first five minutes, and then they slowly get really sleepy again because the fast milk starts to stop, and they lose interest again, so they get a bit sleepy. And so we're like, right, off you get, back to the first side. And often women would switch two to three times in a feeding. So I know you get told, feed on one side for a long time, make sure they get the watery stuff, then the creamy stuff at the end. This kind of is a way to actually keep babies interested. And often what you'll find is within 24, 48 hours of keep switching them, switching them, the baby's finally on there going, listen, stop switching me, okay? I'll stay awake and I'll keep Mm -hmm. sucking. And often your milk supply increases really, really quickly. So that's quite an easy thing to do if you think you've got low milk supply. Look at the way your baby's on the breast. Are they continuously interested when they're feeding or are they just doing a couple of sucks and then they fall asleep? So encourage them. There's also something called breast compressions. You probably wouldn't have done that if you had lots of milk supplied. Have you ever heard what a breast compression is?
0: I've heard of them, but I didn't have to do it myself. So what a breast compression is, is basically you. some people
1: squeeze their breasts when the baby's on there. So if the baby's on there, suck, 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 and the baby starts to lose interest. And we often do it with little premature babies. As you give your breast a bit of a squeeze and it kind of squirts a bit of milk out and the baby goes, ah, that's right, there's milk, and they start to suck again. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing you can do. When you squeeze the breast, you don't want to bruise the breast, like I've seen lots of mums being a bit vigorous. Um, sometimes it's just enough to jiggle your breast. Or some mums just kind of start moving the baby's chin underneath with their finger and that will often give babies some support so they can kind of increase their sucking on the breast. And that's another way to increase milk supply. There is lots of other things that you can do, like taking. Have you heard what a galactagogue
0: is? Is that um, is that like essentially a medication that increases your milk supply? Is that like domperidone? Yeah, so that's that's the medical drug. Yeah,
1: I mean what what I hear a lot of now is that people go, oh, I'm just going to go and take domperidone, um, which is a drug that some women can take, not all women, it needs to be prescribed normally by their GP, so they can actually get a good medical um, history of them, Uh, is it suitable for them. Mm -hmm. Um, From a lactation point of view, I'd be looking first at not jumping into something very medical. Um, First, I'd be looking at the latch, you know, doing the switch nursing, looking at other things, are they using nipple shields? Are they, have they tried the, you know, the breast compressions? Are they using a pacifier or a dummy or a bottle? So pacifiers and bottles, I mean, they used to say it was the suck that really affected and confused babies with breastfeeding. What they now find is actually the flow of the milk, particularly with bottles, that what babies do on a bottle, if they get the milk fast, then what they do on the breast is if the milk's not coming fast enough, they lose interest. So often I say to mums, you know, if you are bottle feeding, do you know about paste bottle feeding, how to give a breastfed baby a bottle so that they actually make sure they keep their latches on the breast, you know, as optimal as they can. Sometimes using a pacifier, again, with the whole sleep settling thing, sometimes mothers confuse the baby needs a pacifier to go to sleep when actually the baby is still hungry and needs to go back on the breast, and that will often increase your milk supply as well. So sometimes I say to them, I'm not saying don't give a pacifier or a dummy, Why don't you not give it for a week and put the baby on the breast more? And that will often increase their milk supply. And then are they eating properly? Are they, you know, drinking lots of fluid? And then if that doesn't work, let's look at what we call some galactagogues. So some of the most common galactagogues we hear about um, is, you know, your breastfeeding teas, your breastfeeding cookies, which often contain um, fenugreek and blessed thistle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes going to, like most places now have a health food store with a naturopath there you can talk to, sometimes going and actually talking to them um, and getting them to make you up something for yourself is a better option than just buying something over the counter. It depends what you think your low milk supply is. If you've got other issues going on, like you have got, you know you've got hormonal problems, um, you know you might have had some breast surgery in the past that could affect milk supply, then again you might want to go and get a specialist something made up for you from a naturopath Or if that doesn't work, to get on and and think about the Domperidone. The other thing with the Domperidone is often what women don't realize is that if you're taking Domperidone, initially you still have to do some pumping. If the baby's lact isn't as optimal as it can, a lot of lactation consultants would say that you also have to be pumping if you're on the Domperidone to boost up the supply. Um, And with any of these things, once your supply comes off, Uh, The main thing is we don't want you just stopping all those supplements or stopping your John Peridone straight off because if you stop it, often your milk supply goes down again. So you often need someone to support you while you wean off the things that can help increase your milk supply.
0: Yeah, and I guess with all of this as well, your ultimate number one go-to is either your midwife or having a referral to a lactation consultant who can, you know, Take in con- into consideration your specific circumstances and give you the best advice for you and your baby
1: I think sometimes what happens is I mean probably the biggest complaint I hear from from women is the conflicting advice you know that you've often we've birthed in hospitals um and you've had one midwife tell you this way to hold your baby another midwife told told you another way um and one says you've got a problem one says you don't and I think you, you know going like you say going back to your own midwife who you've obviously built up a relationship with yeah and really working it through with them they'll be doing the you know the regular checks on baby and yourself and i think probably the biggest challenge we've got you know is that midwives you know often carry big caseloads for them to sit down and sit with you while you feed you know especially at home if you're having problems sometimes that doesn't happen because they just physically can't they've got lots of mums they're trying to see um, and that's where a lactation consultant can be of benefit, that, you know, they'll often see you and they'll sit and they'll watch how you sit, how you prepare yourself to breastfeed. You know, how what happens to your baby when they wake up? How do you make sure the baby's actively on there? And that's what I do a lot of, is just saying to mum, oh, okay, you sit. And often, again, you know, I see a lot of mums who are really uncomfortable. I mean, do you remember those early days where suddenly you're sitting up, your shoulders are tight? Your neck's hurting.
0: Yeah, and you have everybody telling you, do this, do that, relax. <laughs> Mum gets involved, and you, and grandmother you, yeah. gets involved. It's like, oh, my yeah. God, everybody back off. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, that's, and yeah, and I just – and often I say to girls, you know, the thing is that all those people are trying to give you really good advice, but the problem is is that babies change, like you've said. Babies change so much. Um, and what worked on that first day when that first midwife told you to hold your baby in that way? that was the best advice for that day. But now we've got a baby who's one to three weeks old, who's screaming and fussy that, you know, sitting in these upright positions often and feeling stressed before you even get the baby on um, is a challenge in itself. And that's why sometimes getting a lactation consultant come to your house, look at what you sit in, you know, look how you sit, look how you hold your baby, you know, look how you observe your baby when you're feeding can be actually a really good support. And probably, Rather than getting sometimes, you know, a midwife or a lactation consultant, I often say to mums, do you know someone else who's breastfeeding? Mm. You know, because meeting someone else who's breastfeeding, I've just started a little mother support group and I only get six mums. I used to have 20 mums for like 10 years, come out to my clinic, and beauty uh, house in Titorangi, but my clinic now I've got six mums and I had four in here the other day and they all loved it because they were like, oh, that's how you hold your baby. Oh, I haven't tried that way. You know, and often you teach each other.
0: Yeah, that was my experience.
1: You know, it's yeah.
0: Yeah, I have a fantastic coffee group and I talk a lot that they have really been my village. And I so I was, um I think a few of us saw lactation consultants. One has a condition where she has low milk supply. She she did everything Mm -hmm. that you've mentioned and she just cannot, her body cannot produce milk. So she's seen lots of lactation consultants. One saw Mm. a lactation consultant in terms of wanting to introduce a bottle. And then I saw one for the issues that I had. And I was the only one doing a laid back hold. And I also wasn't latching her on, you know, in terms of the traditional sense of hold the head this way and position her and make sure (laughs) that you rub your nipple on her nose or her chin to open her mouth. And I just didn't. The the first thing that I was taught was lean back, get comfortable, put her in the middle of your chest and let her bob around and even put your bra down or go topless. And let her bob around and choose which, which breast she wants to latch onto. I will never forget sitting in that, in that consultation and the elation that I felt of having my baby latch on with zero pain. And I, it was like Mm. that oxytocin high again, but even the mums in my group when we went for our coffee dates, and they saw me feeding her that way, and I was sitting in cafes with both mm. boobs out waiting, even my baby did choose which <laughs> boob she wanted to latch onto, but it was so great because we learned so much from each other, so I think that's yeah. fantastic advice, because we've all got our own tips and tricks and things that worked for us. Yes
1: you know and I've got lots of girls that i've I've you know sort of said they said, "Oh, I've gone, I've been taught all this layback thing, but it's not for me." Yeah and I go, that's actually okay because we can adjust it. Because the thing about breastfeeding, it's got to be for you. Yeah. You know, and it's like the girl with the low low milk supply who probably needed to supplement your baby. I always say to girls like that, it's actually okay. Like, it's okay to supplement. If that's what you have to do to keep breastfeeding. So my my real goal with a lot of mums is I want you to keep breastfeeding for as long as you want to. Mm -hmm. And often when you take the pressure off them, women want to breastfeed. Yeah. Even if it's just twice a day. You know, I've had girls who've had to go back to work and they've ended up keeping breastfeeding because they realize that it's actually okay that they have to go back to work and give their babies other things because they haven't managed to pump. So get rid of the guilt, you know, make them realize they love their babies anyway. And that, you know, and often saying to them, you know, another mum might teach you something and you go, yeah, that's not, yeah, I'll try that. Or that's not for me. Or a lactation consultant might say, hold your baby this way. And you're going, nah, I don't want to do that. You know, if, if you give women space to actually, grow with their baby they'll often work it out
0: yeah absolutely you know with
1: some positive input and like you say you waiting for that oxytocin high when you get it you suddenly go actually i feel comfortable where i am with my baby yeah that's you know a really what? nice feeling yeah it's a really nice feeling
0: thank you for listening to part one of my conversation with lactation consultant kathy mccormick part two is live now thank you so much for listening to this episode of motherness for more empowering interviews like this one check us out on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you like to listen and if you like today's episode please subscribe and leave a review so more listeners can discover all that motherness has to offer we are at motherness.podcast on instagram and our dms are always open if you need advice or would like to chat i'm sky ross and you've been listening to motherness